Hey everybody, James Shepard here for the Merchant Sales Podcast. Got a special edition this week. I actually interviewed Eric Bernstein, who's the CEO of Valor Paytech. And we did a live event together uh, last week. It was uh, about a 50-minute event because um, I started off for about 20 minutes just giving a quick update on where we're at with dual pricing, the surcharge cap, and what I'm seeing in the industry right now. Then we transitioned over to Eric Bernstein and had a fantastic interview with him talking about how they're taking the Valor terminals as well as their full omni-channel suite of solutions and bringing that to the ISO community to enable them to implement whatever program they believe is the right fit for them. And so we had a really interesting one. Then I normally don't include the Q&A sessions on uh, on the uh, when we do it as a podcast version on the audio, but it was so good this time that I am actually including that as well. So um, if you already attended the event, fantastic. Thank you for doing so. If not, listen in to this live event, and I think you're going to get a lot of interesting information out of it. Obviously, this particular edition of the Merchant Sales Podcast is brought to you by Valor Paytech. So I'd encourage you to check out Valor Paytech, and you can learn more about that towards the end of Eric's interview. But let's dive in and learn about dual pricing, the surcharge cap, and what's happening in the industry right now. Uh, the agenda for today is that I'm going to start off by giving an update on where I see all of this um, visa surcharge cap and compliance and everything, the shift towards dual pricing. So I'm going to talk a little bit about where I see all of that uh, happening right now. And again, this is changing, I mean, so quickly. Um, I got a bunch of information actually just yesterday uh, from uh, different sources and stuff. And so um, anyway, then we're going to switch over. I'm going to interview Eric Bernstein, the CEO of Valor Paytech, who has sponsored this event to talk about what they have going on with their Valor suite of omni-channel uh, you know, solutions and how they're dealing with this with dual pricing as well. All right, I think we got everybody on here. So let's go ahead and dive in. A lot more people are still joining, but they'll, they'll catch up to us, okay? So <clears throat> dual pricing and the surcharge cap. Um, let's go ahead and dive in real quick here. So first of all, I want to run through a list of interesting things. And I did not have our team, I even had a little typo, I think on the uh, title slide, I noticed a second ago, hopefully you missed it. But we literally put this together at the last minute, which is not something I like to do for events. But, you know, this is something that is just changing so rapidly. And so I prepared these talking points very recently and things are changing really, really quickly. So what I'm going to do is I want to run through these items on my bullet point list here. going to take me 15, 20 minutes. Then I'm going to shift gears and I'm going to introduce Eric Bernstein and I'm going to interview him. And I got a bunch of questions for him about how Valor Paytech is adapting uh, to this changing environment. So let's start with the Visa surcharge cap. So a couple of questions for you. Over in the question section, tell me this. <clears throat> First of all, um, are you currently selling dual pricing, surcharging, cash discounting, non-cash adjustment? Just put a quick answer over in the question box and just answer the question of, um, you know, just let me know what are you currently offering? So you might put just dual pricing, you might put um, interchange plus and cash discounting, you know, what are the current pricing options? Just so I can get a little flavor of the audience today and I can understand a little better what uh, you all are offering. Okay, so here we go. So Tom is saying dual pricing, uh, Jan, cash discounting, Douglas, dual pricing. Uh, this will be recorded, by the way, and I will be posting that. Lots of dual pricing here. Uh, Chris, everything except for compliance surcharging. Casey, dual pricing and surcharging. 
uh, day old dual pricing, cash discounting, everything. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> um, dual pricing and interchange plus. I see a lot of those actually, the ton of, of these here and a lot of dual pricing. Okay, cool. All right. So this gives me a flavor of the audience. So Eric and I know who we're talking to. So I would say it looks like we're 85% dual pricing with a lot of people doing some additional programs beyond that. And then some people doing the uh, cash discounting. So um, good. Okay, got it. All right. Thank you very much for your feedback on that. Okay. Um, I'll have a couple of the questions for you here in a minute uh, that I, that I want to get to. But um, I want to first talk about the Visa surcharge cap. So what kind of started this insane you know, news cycle, if you want to call it that, in our industry. And that is on April 15th, which would have been last Saturday, Visa rolled out a update to their compliant surcharge cap. Now, you might be wondering, what on earth does this have to do with dual pricing and everything else, if you're a little bit new to this conversation? And I'll be explaining that in a minute. But what, what this surcharge cap means in principle is really two things. Um, number one, if you're doing compliant surcharging, now compliant surcharging means you're adding a line item fee to the receipt only for credit card transactions. If you're adding a line item fee as a surcharge to debit, whether that's signature debit or pin debit, it doesn't matter if they push credit or debit on the credit card machine. If they're inserting or swiping a debit card, signature or pin debit, you cannot add a surcharge to do a compliant surcharge program. Well, historically, the cap has been 4%. So you can add up to a 4% um, surcharge. Industry average has probably been 35 to 3.75% for these compliant surcharge programs. Um, and Visa lowered the cap from 4% down to 3%. Now, interestingly, we have no information that MasterCard, Discover, or American Express plan to follow suit with any of these changes. Visa's kind of going on their own, which is kind of unusual. But this cap is now active, right? Now, again, uh, for most of you in here that have not sold, let me ask this question. Yes or no in the question box? Yes or no? Have you ever sold a compliant surcharge program where you're adding a fee to credit but not to debit? Could be card not present, card present. Give me a yes or a no in the question box. I'm just really kind of curious uh, to see how many of you have actually done one of these. So looks like looks like about a third. Okay, yeah. So about a third of you have done a compliant surcharge program, maybe close to half. Okay, good. Well, that's interesting. Right? So you have some context for this. All right. So why did Visa do this? Well, Visa gave a speech at the MAC um, conference in Vegas recently, where I was not there, but I talked to several people who were, and they were able to shed a little bit of light on this, as well as some other conversations that have happened behind the scenes. And that is, Visa believes that this idea of differential pricing, right? Well, that's what that's the term I use for it, differential pricing. That encompasses cash discounting, dual pricing, surcharging, et cetera. That this differential pricing is damaging the Visa brand by making consumers think that they're being penalized to use a Visa card. Okay? Now, frankly, that sounds pretty valid, actually, right? If you were Visa, you might feel the same way. Um, we, of course, have data from our industry that shows that's not the case, meaning uh, we've seen it over the last four or five years that consumers actually don't change their buying habits at all. They still continue to use their card, um, whether there is a differential in the price or not. Um, but Visa believes this is damaging to their brand. And so 
you know, what I believe they would love to do is just get rid of these differential programs entirely. But of course, it's not that easy. They can't just get rid of them. Right. Um, and I've been challenged on that quite a bit. I talked to a lot of people in the industry. I've talked to so many lawyers in the last uh, couple of weeks or so. It's crazy. Um, CEOs of ISOs. I've talked to sponsor banks. And, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, James, no, 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 no. Visa's fine with cash discounting. Visa's fine with compliance surcharging. You know, they they love those programs. They just don't want this, these other programs. And I'm like, no, Visa fought compliance surcharging all the way to the Supreme Court. <laughs> you know, it was part of the settlement that they ended up uh, making as a result of the uh, Supreme Court case, um, you know, whatever it was, over a decade ago. Um, they don't like it. They just, you know, were basically backed into a corner and had to provide um, some options. They said, well, you can surcharge credit, but not debit, right? So that's what happened. Now, why do we care about that as an industry? So my next question for those of you in the question box, what percentage of your sales currently are compliant surcharging? And I'll show you why this is matters in a second. So give me a percentage. So it might be 0%. If you answered no to the last question, it would just be 0%. But give me a number, a percentage. So are you 50% compliant surcharging, 100% compliant surcharging, 5%, 10%, 0%? What is the percentage of your sales that are compliant surcharging? Uh, just give me a guess. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, less than five, zero. Um, I see one person at 50% and another person at 1%, you know, right. So, uh, 10%. So in other words, even those of you that say, yes, I have sold a compliance surcharging account. You're not selling very many of them, right? What you're mostly selling is maybe in the past you were selling non-cash adjustment. Now you're selling dual pricing or you're still selling non-cash adjustment or you're doing cash discounting, but you're doing a program that's differential pricing on all of the transactions, both credit and debit. Well, again, the assumption here is that Visa wants to eliminate differential pricing or at least minimize the impact of these programs in the marketplace. So how do they do that? Well, one of the challenges that they've had is that they've said that non-cash adjustment type programs, these line item programs, they've said that they are not compliant because, this is important, because it's a surcharge. That's what Visa has said. Visa has said, well, if you're going to add a line item like a non-cash adjustment, that's a surcharge. So you are going to be regulated under Visa rules for surcharging. So the problem with that for Visa is that if on the receipt, if the information they get is a receipt and they don't know if it's a credit card or a debit card, well, they've had a bit of a problem there, right? Because if you see a non-cash adjustment, what are they normally at? 3.99%, 3.5%, 3.75, right? They're in that range. Well, guess what? Before April 15th, the cap on surcharging was what? 4%, right? Do you understand Visa's dilemma? How do they enforce, how do they eliminate these programs, which they believe are not compliant, when the reason they say they're not compliant is that it's a surcharge, but most of the receipts that they get with a complaint, it's under 4%. And a lot of times they don't know if it's credit or debit. A lot of times it is credit, right? And so if it's a credit card receipt, now there's some compliance things they could do. They could say, well, that merchant didn't register. And that was the other thing they changed with this new cap on April 15th is that the merchants don't have to register with Visa. But they could technically say, well, the merchant didn't register. Well, Visa hasn't done a good job of tracking all the registration. So that was a bit of a problem. So now what they've done is they said, well, wait a second, let's just make the cap 3%. And they can kill two birds with one stone with that action. Number one, they can make compliance surcharging less profitable and less appealing for our industry, right, to do compliance surcharging. 
um, still makes sense in some situations, which I'll talk about in a minute. But number two, now any line item, and this is the, if you get nothing else out of this event, get this, okay? Every line item that they see on the receipt, non-cash adjustment, service fee, technology fee, whatever fee, right? If they see a line item on the receipt that is increasing the price because the person used a card of any kind, if the amount is above 3%, it is automatically not compliant, according to Visa, because they're calling it a surcharge and the new surcharge cap is 3%. So if you're doing a non-cash adjustment at 3.75 or 3.99, and that receipt, you know, a customer complains or the mystery shoppers, which we'll talk about in a minute, well, now we have this problem, okay? So now we want to get into kind of what, what really matters, right? So, so again, Step one is you got to get rid of the line item and you, you can't have a line item above 3% or that's a huge red flag, right? Obviously, if the line item is on debit, that's also considered not compliant as well. But now let's talk about what really matters, okay? So I used this example in a video recently, but you know, uh, if your neighbor comes over to your house and they see you got your riding lawnmower, you just bought a brand new riding lawnmower, you're really proud of it and it's sitting in the driveway. You just got done mowing your yard. Your neighbor walks over, sits down in your lawnmower, turns it on, goes and mows their yard, and then takes your lawnmower and puts it in there in, in, the, uh, in the garage, <laughs> right? Um, did they just break the law? Yeah, they just stole, right? What happens if you don't call the police? What happens if you don't say anything to them? Nothing, they, they get to keep a new lawnmower, right? So the question is, who's gonna do something about this, right? So one of the problems Visa's had is that, you know, they believe these programs are not compliant, but it's like, Visa didn't have this big army of enforcement agents to go out and enforce their rules. So they were totally dependent on customer complaints. Well, the problem is for them, customers actually didn't complain too much about these programs. So they actually didn't get that many complaints. Therefore, they weren't really able to issue very many, um, you know, compliance uh, warnings. Um, I know companies that have 40,000 mids and, you know, they're, they were getting 10 to 15 compliance issues a month from Visa, which is like a tiny, tiny percentage, right? So um, Visa says, okay, fine, about probably six months ago, they let it be known that they had contracted with another company to have mystery shoppers, all right? So these mystery shoppers work for Visa um, as contractors from a, you know, they work for a different agency and they contract with Visa. And Visa has instructed these mystery shoppers, hey, get out, walk into businesses, buy a candy bar, you know what I mean? Shop around, buy, buy whatever the cheapest thing is that you can buy and then see what happens. And if you notice any of these things on this list, report back to us with pictures or whatever, right? And so again, this is the idea of getting rid of that, that line item. The first thing they're looking for is a line item on the receipt, okay? The second thing they're gonna look for is they're gonna look for the, the sign that's up in the window that talks about all listed prices are the cash price or all prices include a 4% cash discount or anything with like a percentage or something about how there's a fee that's added or anything that would make it clear that you're actually increasing the listed price at the counter or a line item on the receipt. So that's the main thing they're looking for, which is the really just the practical reason why I've been talking about going to dual pricing, which I'll get to in a minute. But those are the big red flags, all right? Now, recently, they're also looking for some other things, which I'll talk about as far as the pricing on the shelf and the menu, right? So what about the shelf and the menu pricing? You know, does it have, if it's dual pricing, does it have a cash and a card price on the shelf? Does it have a cash and a card price on the menu? So 
this is what's happening. Okay. So that, this is the important part. Like this is what's happening. Now, what do we as an industry do about this? Right? Well, before we get into that, let's talk about two documents, right? Two, two things that have happened in the past. One is the Durban Amendment. Now, I would encourage everybody on here to, after this is over, go to Google, search for Durban Amendment full text, okay? Just do it, trust me. Durban Amendment full text. Go down and find the section on cash discounting and in-kind incentive and read it. It's gonna take you literally two minutes to read it, okay? It's not that long. Read the whole thing, all right? What you're gonna come away from that with is you're gonna say, wow, there is a federal law that protects the right of business owners to incentivize their customers to pay with whatever form of payment they want. Now, it does define a cash discount as a discount from what they're informed is the regular price. It doesn't say if they're informed on the shelf of the menu, it just says what they're informed is the regular price. But it also talks about an in-kind incentive, which is not a discount, it's something else that's used to incentivize customers, right? So we have federal law protecting these, you know, the rights of the merchant to do this. Um, Let's see, hold on, let's see, there we go. Sorry, I had a little bit of audio issue there. Um, then we talk about the expressions hair design. Now what's expressions hair design? Well, there was a court case that went all the way to the Supreme Court where the attorney general of the state of New York was enforcing a law there that was a surcharge ban. And so they were telling merchants that by law, you cannot add a surcharge to a car transaction. And so um, expressions hair design and other businesses took visa uh, took not visa took uh, the attorney general of New York to court over this and said this is a violation of our free speech rights. We should be able to communicate our price however we want to our customers. Guess what happened? The Supreme Court unanimously think about that a second. Unanimously, they don't have a lot of decisions that are unanimous. Unanimously agreed that this law was a violation of the merchant's free speech rights and that they did have the free speech right to be able to communicate their price however they want to their customers, okay? And that the idea of a discount being okay, but adding a fee is not okay, that that was a violation of their constitutional free speech rights. If you don't believe me, go look it up. Read the majority opinion in the expressions hair design versus the attorney general of New York. That one will take you a little longer than two minutes, probably about a 20 or 30 minute read, but very interesting. Okay, so we go back to our, our, uh, our example here of the uh, lawnmower, right? So I believe, and I'm not an attorney, this is not legal advice, but I believe visas is overreaching, potentially violating, you know, uh, the Durban Amendment. And, and you know, uh, I believe if all of this went to court and a bunch of merchants got together in class action or whatever, and this went to court, I do believe visa would have a resounding loss in the courts. Now, who wants to spend, you know, millions and millions of dollars to take Visa to court over this? Right now, nobody. So the idea is Visa's looked at this and says, okay, we don't like these programs. We believe these programs violate our, are, are hurting our brand, right? And creating this perception of, in consumers that there's a penalty to use a card and we want to kill these programs. So we're just going to go ahead and start having fines and we're going to start fining and, and all these things, having mystery shoppers and all that. And the idea is they, they took the lawnmower and it's in their garage and our industry saying, well, okay, I guess you got our lawnmower. I don't know. I don't know if we're going to get it back or not, <laughs> right? So that's kind of where we're at right now, okay? And so back in April of 2022, so a year ago, I came out with an article basically saying, hey, I see all this is coming. I see that Visa is doing this. I see that Visa is going to be taking a lot more action with this. Let's switch to dual pricing as an industry so we can avoid these issues, all right? 
many of you made that shift. Many of your ISOs and processors made that shift, and I'm glad you did, um, because those are companies that so far have not been targeted by Visa. Now, there have been some compliance complaints that have come through because of pricing on the shelf of the menu, but Visa has really targeted their efforts, and I can't share too much of this, but I know the main sponsor bank and all the ISOs that they've targeted, and uh, one I just talked to uh, a few days ago, uh, $1 million in fines from Visa already. A million dollars in fines already. Um, and again, I can't share too much of this because of NDAs, consulting clients, et cetera, et cetera. But um, these companies are you know, uh, being targeted and they're the ones that were doing more of the non-cash adjustment right, uh, type of programs, okay? So those are the companies that are being targeted right now and specifically one sponsor bank who sponsors a lot of these ISOs, ISOs that do that program. So um, switching to dual pricing where we have a cash and a card price, the, the concept here is, if we have everything compliant within our ecosystem, so the point of sale system, uh, the terminal, the receipt, I love a customer facing display. We wanna make it so that we have a cash and a card price, right? That, in my opinion, that's the best path forward. You have a cash and a card price. Now, the question is, to be fully compliant with Visa rules, doesn't don't we also need to have pricing on the shelf of the menu? Well, here's the thing. According to Visa right now, and I've seen all the information uh, coming from that channel. Um, yes, you do. So according to Visa, the merchant does need to have a cash and a card price on the shelf of the menu. Okay, now, the question is this. Whose job is it to enforce that? Right? Right now, they are putting that burden on the sponsor bank, and one in particular right now, but in general, the sponsor bank, which is then putting it on the ISO and saying, hey, we got to make sure all of our merchants are pricing according to Visa's you know, rules. Um, but the good news is Visa is going to be very busy taking, getting rid of the non-cash adjustment programs for the next six months to 12 months. During that time, my plan is to work with companies in the industry. I've already been making a lot of inroads here, and I think within 30 days, I'll have something to announce on this. But we're going to try to work with Visa and to educate them on the fact that our industry is simply, first of all, our industry is not set up to monitor the pricing of every merchant on their physical objects. Like, that's a lot. Like, we're not gonna monitor menu pricing and shelf pricing. We're not pricing disclosure experts. We're payments experts. So that's number one. And number two, we're gonna educate Visa on the fact that from our perspective, we're starting to get a little bit of a, in a dangerous slippery slope relative to the merchant's free speech rights. And we don't want to get locked into that with Visa to where our industry is causing a violation of free speech rights, according to the expressions hair design precedent, as well as the protections of the Durban Amendment. And so I'm crafting right now with a bunch of attorneys I'm working with and a bunch of different um, ISOs and trying to create a letter that we can have an open letter to Visa from a bunch of these big companies that says basically, hey, we're on your side with wanting a compliant, transparent solution here. However, all we can control is what's in the point of sale system, the receipt, the customer facing display. So feel free to require us to do any of that. But if we wanna get beyond that and, and what we're gonna tell the merchant, how they have to communicate their pricing on the shelf of the menu, we are uncomfortable with that for two reasons. One, we're not really capable of enforcing all of that, right? That's We're not capable of monitoring all of it. And number two, we're worried that that might be a violation of their free speech rights and we don't really want to go down that slippery slope with you, Visa. If you want to go down that slippery slope and start fining merchants and all that, knock yourself out. So big takeaways for those of you on here right now, okay? Um, one last question real quick and then I'll give this big takeaway actually. How many of you, I'm curious, give me a number, how many of you, how many merchants have you had where you already had to deal with this issue? In other words, You've had a merchant that was reported to Visa 
Visa filed a complaint through your processor and it got through to you? Give me a number, one, two, three. If it's zero, you don't need to put a number there. I'm just curious, are there, is there, how many of you are on here that have had this issue? Okay, um, okay, so there's one, there's one, five, um, there's another one. Okay, so some of you on here, there's some more, okay, so some of you on here have experienced this issue. Let me tell you a couple of things, okay? Most important things that you need to take out away from this would be, number one, get rid of your line item program, the non-cash adjustment program, you need to get rid of it. Okay, I'm just, trust me on this. I mean, this is like Visa's, you know, focus. So get rid of the line item program, get rid of the sign that says anything about the listed prices, the cash price or anything like that. The sign should just say, we offer a cash and a card price. Like that simple, you know, no percentages, nothing like that. And I know you might say, well, James, that seems less transparent. Well, yeah, it kind of is. But unfortunately right now with Visa and they're kind of, you know, uh, mystery shoppers out there, what you need to make sure is that everything you're doing is compliant with Visa rules. And then let's leave it up to the merchant, right? To see what they're gonna do with their pricing and how they exercise their free speech rights. So that's number two. Um, number three is um, I would really encourage you to go to dual pricing. So you just have a cash and a card price on the receipt and make sure that your receipt lists the higher price. So you can list both prices if you want or just the higher price on the line items. But let's say you've got a, you're selling for a point of sale system. Um, if they have, you know, line items, they can't just have the cash price and then the total and then say, here's the card price. That's not going to fly. It needs to be either the cash and the card price on the receipt or just the card price and then the total card price and then the cash price. You don't want to put a percentage discount. You don't want to put a line item. I don't recommend any of that. Um, again, I'll talk to Eric here in a minute and they've got all these options available. But my recommendation is keep it simple, cash and card price. Um, and, and roll with that, okay? Um, so that's the big takeaway. I've got a lot more coming um, and I'll have a lot more information on all of this. Eric, if you wanna go ahead and try to get your uh, audio video on. Hey James, you hear me? I can hear you great, man. How are you doing today? Good, how are you James? Doing fantastic. So, so Eric, can you start us off giving us a little bit of a high level about Valor Paytech? What is Valor Paytech all about? And tell us a little bit about your journey through all this crazy differential pricing stuff that we've been going through. Sure. You know, Valor in general was created to solve, you know, common pain points faced by both ISOs and merchants when dealing with payment technology. We entered the space with an agile mindset. And our driving force was to create an agnostic, easy-to-use, cloud-based, uh, omni-channel gateway. Our focus is on our partners, and the majority of our efforts are driven by partner demand. Um, regarding differential pricing, as you know, product requests and demand have varied throughout the years, um, and they're constantly changing today. Our job is to tailor our product to meet the individual needs of our partners. Payments is not one size fits all. Valor became an industry leader in the space because we created a product that allows each partner to deploy their own interpretation of these programs. Our nimble cloud-based management system future-proofs our technology by making the previous hassle and burden of updating one or 1,000 terminals as simple as the click of a button. You know, Wayne Gretzky said it perfect. Skate where the puck is going, not where it is. As an organization, we embody this philosophy and strive to remain ahead of the curve. And we're always working to introduce tomorrow's technology today. It, it takes such a space in what we're doing today to understand being nimble and being able to change is an asset to any partner of ours that's using our technology. I love it. I love it. So as I ask you this next question, I have a question for our audience. 
So I would love, again, just to give us context of who we're talking to, uh, give me a yes or a no in the question box. Are you currently selling Balor terminals, right? So whether or not they're available to you, are you selling Balor terminals? I think we're going to see a lot of yeses here, actually, Eric, but I'm just curious to see that. Um, and so, Eric, my next question for you is, what are you seeing with the ISOs right now? Like you work with a lot of them, just like I do, but you're working with them much more on, on your team is much more hands-on with how they're deploying the technology. I've talked to so many that have said, oh my word, I'm so glad we did Valor because we can update our terminals remotely and all that. Are they doing that? What, what are you seeing? Are they taking action? Give me some context of what you're seeing. I mean, if you want to choose one word, it's change. I mean, these, the lines have been drawn. Surcharge, obviously cap 3%. Non-cash charge is becoming a thing of the past. As you said, fines are being levied. I've heard $2 million fines being assessed on certain partners. Um, merchants that have not adjusted their payment process are liable to possibly get a fee assigned to them. Um, first, you may see it different than I do, but I understand Visa's actions. I mean, they were done to improve the customer shopping experience. I don't think they were actions against businesses covering their costs. I think they were done to increase transparency and avoid frustration at the register. To be honest, it's difficult to explain non-cash charge and the cash discount. And shifting toward the transparency is a positive effort. And I see that that way. Um, merchants, the truth is though, merchants need to cover costs to stay in business. The problem is, is that the previous iteration was a shortcut. It was the easiest way to assess a way to cover your fee, but typically shortcuts sacrifice something and in that place, it was what Visa feels, it was the customer shopping experience. Amongst our partners, I mean, we're seeing them comply. They're spending time, money in educating and retraining their staffs to implement the correct program. Um, I see this, honestly, as a huge opportunity for the right salespeople in this industry. Um, change is difficult and it eliminates a lot of salespeople, but those fast buck salespeople are endangered species. It's time for the right people to create a transparent product, create a great customer experience. And you'll see these companies that are investing the time to convert, they're going to start winning market share and controlling the industry through a good product. I love it. I think it's so interesting too. Two, two things about that you said that I totally agree with actually. One is, you know, one thing that really surprised me, Eric, that was like my, I looked at it as a failure of mine was when I actually went out in the field. So dual pricing, you know, I start, oh, we need to switch. Right. And I was like, oh crap. I don't want to go dual pricing. I've always done non-cash adjustment, right? So I get on the field. This is like my maybe eight months ago or it was back last April. So I go on the field and I start selling dual pricing. And I'm like, what have I been doing all this time? This is so much easier to sell. It actually makes sense. It's actually compliant. The, it doesn't have a negative customer like experience. It's like so much better. So it's kind of like this thing where it's, you know, Visa has kind of pushed us in this direction. And, and again, I still think the there's potentially this overreach of compliance on the shelf and the menu and all that. But as far as just program in general, I think dual pricing is is much more transparent. And I think that we're, we're seeing that. Um, the other thing is, yeah, I think it's an opportunity because now there's this huge hundreds of thousands of merchants that are doing non-cash adjustment. You can walk in there and show them documents from Visa that say, you're going to get fined. Like, don't do this anymore. And then talk about Valor solutions and and you know and dual pricing and all that. So yeah, I, I love it. Um, okay, so so sh and by the way, uh, so you know, no no shocker here. Most people on this event are selling Valor. There's a few holdouts though, so we have a couple people to convince here, right? Um, so yeah, but a lot of people. Yeah, right. So um, but yeah, so 
talk to me about compliance surcharging first. I want to touch on this and then we'll move on. I know it's not super popular with my audience, but like talking about that, because I think it's kind of cool. I did a video on it recently. Um, Valor now has, you know, compliance surcharging that anybody can use. Talk about that for a minute, if you would. So one thing to make clear to the audience is that before entering a compliance conversation, you know, Valor as a whole, as a policy, we don't typically offer compliance advice. You know, what our goal is, is that we want to work with our partners, compliance teams to make sure the features they need are available in order to implement programs that meet their standards. You know, if I had to reference popular features in our surcharge application, I would really focus on the bin-based surcharging. You know, right. previously, you would see cashiers selecting whether they determine it's a credit card or a debit card, and that would be the determining factor in whether a surcharge should be assessed on the card. When you take a bin-based surcharging and you do a bin lookup table, it eliminates manual error and forces customers to understand just simply by inserting the card, our bin table will determine is it a debit card or is it a credit card and determine whether a surcharge should be issued. Um, in terms of other methods of payment, once again, you have to understand our goal is to create this blueprint and our partners can create and this perfect customer experience according to their compliance needs. So in the card not present environment, how they implement it is their decision, but we give them the power, whether it be through SMS or e-invoice, through hosted payment pages, they're all powered with that bin lookup and it's dynamic. So if I take a e-invoice and I enter a debit card, I'm gonna see the plain price. If I enter a credit card, my ISO then can control the disclaimer and control how the price is adjusted by recognizing it's a credit card. Giving these tools is what allows our partners to create the programs that meet their demands. Yeah, I love that. And I think let's clarify something for our audience that maybe doesn't understand. So, so as I said earlier, compliance surcharging, according to Visa, we can add a line item only to credit card transactions, not to signature debit, not to pin debit, not to prepaid. And so what, you know, the, the reason that's been challenging in the past is that you have to be able to actually look up what's called the bin number of the bank that issued the card to say, what kind of card is this? And then that, that has to come back before the final price is calculated because you got to add the price. So in the past, uh, Eric, this was like a processor thing. You know, there were a couple of processors that had figured this out. But what you guys did, which I thought was pretty cool, is kind of pulled it out and said, no, 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 this can be a technology thing. So in other words, correct me if I'm wrong here, Valor, as part of the authorization process, can say, this is a credit card or a debit card or a prepaid card. And then you allow your clients to say, what do we want to do as a result of that information? Is that right? That's correct. That's correct. And, you know, to be clear, it's that we provide these tools, but the customization factor is on the ISO. So, you know, in the card not present environment, there's rules on convenience fees. There's rules on surcharging. I don't want to advise your audience to say this is compliant. Their compliance team need to determine how they want to implement that program in a card not present environment and a card present environment. And our job is to create the tools and parameters they need to implement it correctly. I love it. So, all right, my next question is a bit of a loaded question. I'm not, you know, it's, there's a lot of different ways you can answer this. So I obviously have been very involved in, in Valor along the way and doing videos and content and things of that nature. You guys did advertising with us and stuff. And so, you know, when I recently went through your uh, tools and I was making some videos about cash discounting and dual pricing, and I was like, what in the world? There are, it's so flexible now that you can kind of do like anything. So talk to us about that a little bit. I know there's so much to cover, but give us a high level of like, 
what are these available kind of options and settings for the ISO depending on, oh, I want to do this dual pricing or I want to do some kind of, you know, true cash discounting or whatever. Like talk to us about the, the maybe the philosophy behind the, the flexibility and kind of some high level of like what you have available. I think you hit it on the head. It's like our job is not to create a named program. It's to create the features and parameters available for our partners to create that perfect customer journey that meets their compliance needs. Um, being able to customize how the transaction works, determine if a bin table should be recognized, where you want to assess a fee, how you want the terminal to display a line item or not display a line item, the same thing that applies to a receipt. You know, in dual pricing, as you mentioned earlier, earlier, true dual pricing means they're seeing a card price and a cash price. They're selecting the price they want, and many people believe that there's no line item required. You chose a price, you paid the price, and you got your product clean dual pricing. Some choose say, I want to display to the customer the discount they would receive if they paid with cash. That discount is not saying I'm going to waive your non-cash charge because you're paying with cash. It's saying your list price is being reduced by the amount you're choosing to reduce it as a cash incentive. And we give all those features available to our partners. And once again, they choose how they want to implement these programs. And we're here to assist. I love it. Hey, by the way, a bunch of you are typing questions out. Just so you know, I am seeing those. Uh, in just a minute, we're going to switch over. Since we're done here, we're going to switch to Q&A. And then Eric and I can kind of go back and forth and we'll do our best. So feel free to type your questions out. I'm, they're there. We'll, we'll try to get to as many of them as we can. There are quite a few. Um, okay, so uh, I want to shift a little bit here and talk about omni-channel. So it's one thing to say we've got all these settings on the terminal. It's another thing to say we have all these settings in the gateway but it's a whole other thing to say, we have all the settings in both and in all these different environments. Talk about, because I know that's something you're really passionate about, talk about your view of the omni-channel, the future of what these smaller merchants especially are kind of looking for, and then what Valor has available in terms of the omni-channel approach with these differential programs. Sure, so you know, let's make clear to the audience, what an omni-channel payment reprocessing refers to, it's the ability to integrate multiple payment options into a single, consistent, seamless experience for the customer. So our features, whether they be card present, they're available everywhere in our portal, um, regardless of the channel you're choosing. So giving our partners the ability, once again, to create that payment journey in both card present and card not present environments and centralizing that in our portal makes it a simple, easy to use tool for the merchants they're selling this product to. The goal of ours is to eliminate the technical difficulties of accepting any type of payment, regardless of the location. Our goal is to empower our partners with the freedom and control to create a consistent and unique payment experience. Um, additionally, we strive to create value and increase customer retention by constantly introducing new features and payment options. When we enhance the shopping experience and provide new ways to accept payments, you're, you're shifting from selling the old school way, you're not paying for processing, it's free, it's zero. But the problem is a lot of times in those situations, the quick sale was not providing value. By enhancing this experience and adding new ways to accept payment, new features, you're adding value to the sale, which is something I feel we desperately need in this business. Good stuff. Um, okay, so let's do this, Eric. I'm gonna start going through some questions, but while I pull these up and get that set up, um, tell our audience where they should go to learn more. And if you could break this down a little bit for those that maybe are agents, right? Where they're, you know, maybe they need to just go to their processor or maybe it's a larger ISO or midsize ISO. Like where do they go to learn more about Valor? And while you do that, I'm going to kind of look at these questions and see if I can start narrowing this list down a little bit. 
Sure, sure. So first of all, um, there's many ways to contact Valor. One, for this podcast, we dualpricing.com is a Valor site. Um, you can go to valorpaytech.com. Um, you can come to ETA. will be a huge booth and transact. And most importantly, we will be on stage. I will be joined on stage on the opportunity stage on Tuesday uh, at 3.40 p.m. with some close friends of mine, Michael Nardi, Keith Sampson, and Matt Dubois. And these are experts in the space. And we will be explaining to the audience our experiences with dual pricing and hopefully get people to understand where we're coming from and educate this, this, this community. Uh, we're really excited for it. It's going to be a great time. Um, so any of those options, feel free to contact us. Awesome. Thanks. All right. Let's, let's dive through some of these questions. So if you got a question, um, type it out over in the question box. I'll answer some. I'll throw some to Eric here as well. So um, this person here has been in the business about five years. I'm panicking because several of my older merchants have a line item. What's the best way for me to proceed? I can't take one month off of selling to correct all of these issues, right? So, uh, well, you know, Misty, I hate to tell you this, but the truth is you are going to have to take a little time and you're going to have to work through this. Obviously, you work with your processing company on, you know, what you think is best. One thing I will say, Eric, and, and um, this, I guess, is probably more in my lane, but what I have seen so far is we're talking about one out of 300, one out of 400 merchants has, as, at these larger companies is seeing a compliance issue with the new emphasis with the surcharge cap and everything. My guess is, I'm, again, this is just my opinion. I think we're going to go to something like one out of 100, kind of on average. Um, so I wouldn't necessarily, Misty, say, wow, you need to be freaking out here. Um, but what I would say is the real problem actually is when Visa sees an issue. So like as an example, one of the companies I talked to recently that had a million dollars in fines, what happened was Visa had identified that this is a company that does this you know, line item. And they had directed their mystery shoppers to say, go to 200 of their merchants. So 200 times 5,000, that's a million dollars. It's a $5,000 fine permit. So your larger issue is you don't want to kind of by extension, get your processing company kind of tagged by Visa as this is a problem child that we need to go after. Um, but I think beyond that, I, I wouldn't say it's necessarily um, the end of the world, but I would say it's time to take some action. And I mean, again, if you're using something like, um, like Valor, I mean, just, get rid of the line item and switch them to dual pricing. So talk about that a little bit, Eric, what, what some of these companies are doing that have the line item program. Yeah, you had me baiting it. I was ready to, to jump in. I said, yeah. listen, there's no doubt that in the past, this, this effort of non-cash charge was very popular in the industry. The challenge is, is that when you have technology, the updating and changing has become tedious. It's a burden, it's expensive, and it causes attrition. That's one of our strong points. If you have a valid terminal in the field, an update to remove a line item, is a click of the button and it's an update that happens instantly. So I recommend that if you believe this industry is never going to change again, this is the last change, then stick with what you're doing. But if you want to be built for change and future-proofed, choose a terminal that is cloud-based that has the controls to adapt and change to the ever-changing environment of this payment industry. Yeah, good answer. So the next question is an interesting one, actually. I'll do my best to answer and I'll see if you have any thoughts as well, Eric. But um, so... Uh, why isn't just basic cash discounting with a sign at the front register easier and cheaper than dual pricing? So here's my here's my issue with that. Ultimately, I feel like with dual pricing, we have this kind of this gray area that's being worked out, which is what should the pricing on the shelf in the menu be? It's like, okay, there's a cash price and there's a card price. Should both be on the shelf? Should the higher one be on the shelf? Can the lower one be on the shelf? You know, who's going to enforce what's on the shelf? There's all this gray area which is kind of good right now when you're going through this transition. 
cash discounting, there is no gray area left. You must have the higher price on the shelf and on the menu. And because most of your merchants are not going to do that, by you putting a sign up that says, we offer a cash discount of X percent, makes it very easy for that mystery shopper to say, no, you don't, because you got the lower price on the shelf or the lower price on the menu. Whereas dual pricing, it's kind of like, oh, I don't know exactly what are we doing about this. There's a little bit of that gray area there, whereas cash discounting is pretty well defined at this point. I don't know, Eric, you got anything to add to that or thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think on the cash discount side, it's very clear. You There's a price on the shelf. And if you pay with cash, you get a discount off the price on the shelf. Um, when it comes to dual pricing, I think that it's it's not just a technology change. It's a customer experience change. Um, if you're going to tell me the best business practices to say a sign is going to define to the customer the clarity, I disagree. I think that making it un them understand at the time of the purchase to give them a decision saying, I choose what form of payment I'm using to understand the pricing rather than assessing a fee after the payment is made. I honestly agree with it. I'm a customer experience person. I'm obsessed with it. So if I can make the customer's journey through that merchant's business better, I'm going to be for that. Great. Um, so uh, this next question is an interesting one. Um, you know, where's the document showing that Visa has this 3% cap? I haven't looked to see if they actually updated the surcharge uh, stuff on their website just yet. But what I've been telling people, Eric, is just you got to work through your processor for this stuff. It's one of the, in my opinion, one of the kind of flaws of Visa at the moment is that they still have this very much top-down communication. And so, you know, people ask me all the time, oh, James, can you send me this? Can you send me that? No, because I've only seen it as part of an NDA from a consulting client that's a sponsor bank, you know? Um, and so um, a lot of this information doesn't get disseminated down. So I would say work with your processing company and hopefully Visa's, maybe they've already updated. I don't know, Eric, if you have any information on this, but I haven't really seen it yet online publicly. Yeah, I don't think they, I mean, according to me, and I'm not the, the source of truth, but uh, I, I don't believe they publish a clear document on how to implement the program correctly. But I'd right. say to those implementing programs, working with their compliance departments, focus on the customer experience. And if the customer experience is transparent from start to finish, that's a good start. And then right. work with the rules that you understand. Yeah. Um, one of the other comments here about cash discounting, which again, to clarify, I mean, yeah, if you can... You know, and I know there's uh, uh, several companies, I won't name them, that are very successful that go to market with true cash discounting. And they actually work with their clients to raise their regular price, reprint the menu, reprint the label, whatever it is, and then offer a discount. So to be clear, I mean, that is 100% compliant with all 50 states. It's compliant with Visa rules. Um, it's very clear, just like compliant. I mean, unlike compliant surcharging, compliant surcharging still has a couple states where there's some issues there. But, um, you know, uh, I guess New York, maybe you could have a little issue with, with true cash discounting if there's a calculation involved. But anyway, cash discounting is at least as clear, if not more clear than, than surcharging. It's just one of those things where we've had a bit of an issue getting the merchants to update their regular price. And I get that. I mean, if I'm a merchant, I don't know that I want to change my item from being $19.99 to being $20.79, you know? So there are some of those issues like that. So I, I see that and that's been the main thing, but yeah, Philip, to your question, I mean, absolutely. If that's what you're selling and it's effective, fantastic, right? There's, there's, you're not gonna have any compliance headaches if your merchants are actually raising the regular price and you're doing a discount at the counter. Um, oh, one of the questions that come up here is a feature thing, Eric, do you guys have anything on the roadmap or maybe I know you already have this somewhat with your uh, smaller terminals, but um, the idea of kind of the customer facing version of like choose the cash or the card price. What options do you have today? Do you have anything you want to talk about in the future? What do you got going on there? Sure. First of all, our pin pads, if you choose to use a countertop terminal with a pin pad, 
the pin pad clearly displays the options for the customer to make that decision. In addition, if you're not using a pin pad, there's an option, a parameter, where it could say once you enter the amount, force the merchant, it'll say on the terminal, turn to customer and display the card versus cash price to make the consumer make a choice. This is not built for the merchant to look at the terminal and select the amount. It's built for the consumer to make the decision. Yeah, love it. Great. Um, Jeff asks about uh, compliance issues with surcharge and recurring billing subscriptions. Um, really, there is none. If I'm assuming that's obviously going to be a card not present type of a deal. Um, if you're going to do compliant surcharge, now you could also do convenience fee options here, which have a whole other set of rules we won't get into. But if you do compliant surcharging, it's very simple. You just if they're if the card they have on file is a credit card, you can add the fee. If it's not, you can't. So that's that's really simple. And again, you could run that. And you guys have recurring billing and all that stuff, Eric, right? Yeah, sure, absolutely. Um, let's see here. So I'm not going to get to into that one. Yeah, it's funny. The best sign for dual pricing. I don't know, uh, you know, uh, what you guys have seen. I mean, for me, the one I like is we have a cash price and a card price for our customers. That's like, that's it. So I don't know. That's what I've been doing. Cause it's like hard to, it's hard to figure how much more you need than that. You know? Yeah. I mean, I will, re- I was talking to, uh, actually Michael Nardi the other day and he was saying that you don't need if you're, if you're clearly displaying card versus cash, what are you putting a sign up to display to tell them that, hey, look at the shelf? There's, 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 nothing, there's nothing really there to, to yeah. put a sign up. Yeah, and I, think, and I think at the end of the day, obviously, a lot of the questions revolve around the reality that, of course, most merchants are not going to display the cash in the card price, right? Um, and so that now we get into that whole other thing of, you know, you know here's what I'd say about it. And, and this is, my, again, this is my opinion. Visa has been very clear that not listing the cash in the card price on the menu or the shelf is a violation of their rules if you're going to do dual pricing. Okay, they've made that abundantly clear. Um, and I guess the the question and the argument I've made over the years that I still make today is the Durban Amendment protects the merchant's right to not do that. And so a federal law supersedes visa rules. Um, but again, we run into the issue of who's going to call visa on it. And so ultimately, if they're going to be issuing fines and, and things of that nature, that's the reality that we're living in. And so again, where we're at now, I'm just being pragmatic and practical is like right now, Visa is super focused on the non-cash adjustment service fee model programs. Um, as they clean that up a bit <clears throat> and they move on to more dual pricing enforcement, they've already done that to an extent, but as they move on to that, um, you know, definitely that is what Visa is requiring is that, you know, you have the price clearly everywhere prices are listed. You got to have a cash and a card price. Um, again, I believe that's an overreach and I don't know that our industry wants to get super involved with, uh, we're going to enforce this and we're going to uh, potentially violate free speech rights and all that. So I think that's kind of the only remaining. There's there's no gray area with dual pricing either as far as what Visa requires. It's just the fact that we know a lot of merchants aren't going to do that. And so the question is, because they're not, who's responsible for figuring out that they're not and enforcing it and or fining them or whatever? And my argument's been, I don't know whose job that is, but it's not the ISOs and agents and the sponsor banks. Um, and I don't think Visa should do it either because they're going to get a class action and they're going to lose. Um, but it's really clear where Visa's at. So I don't know if you have anything you want to add to that, but that's kind of my opinion. That's where I'm at right now. I, I mean, I'm not someone that is going to argue with Visa. I think they're a, a big player in the business. And what, you know, what they're doing is, if I believe it's for the better customer experience. I'm going to support what they're doing. Um, you know, if you're going to put pr- shelf pricing for dual pricing, it makes it more transparent. Um, if there's no pricing and it's clear at the terminal, it's transparent. I believe in transparency, but I understand it's a tough time. I mean, if you've been used to using one form of 
acceptance for a long time, that change is traumatic to some industries and some businesses. I don't yeah. like to see businesses suffer through this, but I understand the change. Yeah. Great answer. Is your, you, you should be a politician after this, Eric. You can move on. <laughs> we have all these, now we have all these issues we got to skate through. It's funny. I tell all my friends in the industry, I'm like, I'm in such a great position because I don't have any merchants anymore. You know what I mean? So <laughs> if Issa gets mad at me, Easy that's break. fine. Take shots at everyone. Yeah, right. I'm good. Um, uh, what about the fines? Is you know, is Visa going to issue merchants a warning, et cetera, et cetera? So uh, today, what we've seen is that Visa generally issues a warning um, before a fine. Now, what's interesting is this uh, one I was talking to you last week. The million dollar fine actually did not get a warning. It was just here's your million dollar fine. However, uh, Visa is giving this company some time before they have to actually pay it, and hopefully the idea is going to be that they can make some changes to the program to bring it into compliance and maybe not have to pay the fee. But um, they had, they did say at Mac that they, they insinuated that there may be a change here and they may not be warning, especially again with these non-cash adjustment type programs where now those programs are just so clearly in violation of visa rules. There's just no gray area left. Um, and so I would be really cautious about that. I don't know if you're hearing anything along those lines, Eric, but that's kind of what I've been hearing. Yeah. I mean, if I was in the merchant business selling merchant accounts, I would be definitely pivoting away from non-cash charge and focused on making my merchants understand what dual pricing is, make them understand the concept and try to breed that value to them and offer the features to get them to start working the right way and not worry about fines being assessed. Yeah. Um, I'm going to do one other question here. There are so many in here. I'm going to do one more uh, just because I'm curious. We'll, we'll end on a weird note, I guess, with this question. You and I talked about this a while ago, Eric. So there is this one program out there that just keeps popping up. And there's a question about it here. And I know you and I talked about it. So um, this idea of, okay, well, what if I add a fee to every transaction? You know what I mean? And then I offer a cash discount when somebody pays with cash. <clears throat> you know, what I've seen is I've seen documentation from Visa at some point in time. It wasn't, you know, it was, it was like within the last year that said that was compliant. But then I have friends who tried that and then they got fined by Visa. Have you heard anything? I've just thought I'd throw it out there. What are your thoughts on that program? If the people in your audience, I mean, the funny thing for us is that we reference anytime we bump into someone is Joe's Pizzeria. Because there was this publication about Joe's Pizzeria with a service fee and then you remove the service fee. Um, didn't make much sense to me. And I've seen Joe's Pizza have 17 different receipts so far in terms of the history of looking through Joe's Pizzeria. Um, I don't, I don't have an opinion on it. I could say that, that that product is not something, it's something you can build in our system if you think it's right, and you're an ISO, your compliance department, believes that's the right decision. You can build that product in our system, but whatever direction you go, we support you. I just hope that uh, it's, it's a compliant situation, and that's not my decision to make. Yeah, it, it is an interesting one. Um, you know, again, what, I, what my opinion is, it's, at the very least, I, what I know about it for sure is it is a red flag to the mystery shoppers and to the analysts at Visa that are actually the ones determining if something is compliant or not. Because again, they don't have any way of knowing that it's on every transaction. All they have is a receipt for a card transaction. And so they're seeing it. And so, you know, understandably, they are looking at it and saying, well, this seems like it's one of these non-compliant programs. And so, uh, you know, it's a question of, do you want to be in a situation where you're fighting Visa and saying, no, it is compliant? Or do you want to be in a situation where you never find out that you're not compliant in the first place? Uh, I tend to go the other direction. So that's that's what I've seen. 
Yeah. That's not something you need in your merchant portfolio is to be arguing with Visa. You need to be working on building your accounts, making your merchants loyal and, and, and installing good programs. Right. I love it. So, uh, Eric, any final words of wisdom for us? What would you tell the agents and ISOs mostly as our audience? You know, what would you tell them about how they should proceed the rest of this year um, and how they could work with Valor to help them in this transition time? Any, any thoughts or, or uh, anything for them to share before we end? All I could say is that, you know, this industry, from my experience, has been built on change. Programs come, programs go. The process of changing your technology to support new programs has been a cause of attrition, a cause of cost, and a cause of labor. Using a cloud-based technology like ours allows you to make pivots on the fly and make changes that you need to support the movement and be in accordance with all the regulations that come up. Um, follow your compliance departments, create a good shopping experience for your customers and build value in your sale. You have nothing to worry about. You're the future leaders of this I love it. That's great. Well, uh, there's a lot of other questions you may have asked that you did not get to. Some of them were Valor specific. I will send all of that information over to um, Eric's team at Valor. They can kind of come through that. Maybe there'll be some additional follow-up on that side. Um, I'd like to thank you, Eric, for taking time to join us and have this discussion. We appreciate it. And uh, thank you, everybody, for joining us this evening. We'll end it here. The recording will be put up on our YouTube channel. So check that out in a day or two. And we'll have that up probably over the weekend. So thanks again, Eric. Always a pleasure, sir. Thanks, James. Good seeing you, buddy.